0: The following audio content is a talk from Tuesday Evening Worship, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash young adults. Welcome. Good to see you here tonight. We, uh, we are continuing on in a series on the life of David uh, that we are called uh, Running at Giants. And we're doing that uh, because David's life, as we have talked about over the last few weeks, is not a mistake-free life, not a pain-free life, not a rejection-free life, but a life that is that is lived tenaciously, running after God with everything he has. It, it is He demonstrates for us something of what happens when humanity comes alive at that place where the mess of our life interacts with God, interacts with heaven where heaven and earth come together. And a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at this great call, this call that goes beyond titles, the call that reaches out to the guy who was picked last on the team. We were challenged to be able to think beyond the things that we tend to put our, our security in, our identity in, to think about what it would mean for, to understand our call as coming to us individually from God, a God who looks not at outward appearances, but at the heart, which can be scary can be exciting, can be frustrating sometimes, if it exposes that we've been running after the wrong things. Well, last week we took a look, uh, going a little bit deeper about what does it mean to live in the in-between times, and we see that David certainly was living, uh, he had this great call, we read that the the Spirit came on him in power, and then just not much happens. He continues to kind of continue going on with, with taking care of sheep, really a lowly job, and then he goes on and, and uh, he goes into the service of the king, but really just as a servant. And we looked at what does it look like? If we're going to think about what does it mean to thrive through the mess of life? What does it look like for us to, to live in the in-between times? Because what we do in that time is really important. Well, tonight we are going to look uh, at the most famous probably story of David. And one that speaks to us on what it means to live uh, in such a way in, in the mess in which we seize creatively and courageously opportunities that come before us, and we move forward boldly in action. And so uh, we're going to take a look at the, sta- the, uh, the story tonight of, of David and Goliath, uh, probably one of the more famous stories uh, that is out there. And so I thought if we, we'll just settle in. I hope you guys, I don't know if we have warm milk back there tonight, but I thought, hey, it is a well-known story, so we're going to read a little story tonight, all right? I read this with no every now and then, so we'll, we'll kind of settle on in. All right. Well, here we go, kids. I am not afraid is the name of this story. Once there was a king named Saul, and he had enemies who wanted to fight his army. David's older brothers were part of Saul's army. And they're pretty afraid, I think. Whoops, that's the wrong one. and That's probably my mistake right at the beginning. My bad, you guys. Well, we'll catch up to that, okay? Here's where we catch up to it. Jesse sent his son David to Saul's camp. David brought food to his brothers. Looks like he brought him a big uh, bowl of slop or something. I don't know. (laughs) Hey, guys, I brought you some mud. (laughs) The enemy sent a giant named Goliath to Saul's camp. And Goliath said, choose a man to fight me. If he wins, we will serve you. If I win, you will be our slaves. But the boy, David, said, hey, I'm not afraid. I'll fight this giant and God will help me. So David took his sling and five smooth stones. He forgot his pants at home, but it's okay. Because <laughs> he fought Goliath and David trusted in God and God let David win. Well, end a story. Well, it's a nice story, isn't it? Well, what are we supposed to do with this? I mean... Those of us who who grew up in the church, we knew this as a Bible story. And and it is somehow, it's worked its way, though, into common culture, which is what's fascinating about the David and Goliath story. I mean, it is everywhere. I mean, it is through classical art. In pictures such as Caravaggio, I think we have one of those, that that it has worked its way into our imaginations. It's worked its way into our our common kind of vernacular, our, our, our language. Everybody knows about the David and Goliath story. I mean, we love it. It is something that, we love a story in which the little guy beats the big guy, right? I mean, it might be a kid's story, but there is something about it. There's something about kid's stories that are just so, in some ways, so elemental. They capture something that is just so basic to us that it fires up our imagination. That perhaps the little guy can win over the big guy. and So we think about, we love to talk about little companies that battle big corporations and win. Little countries that battle big countries and win. I mean, our own, st- our own history has some of that as 13 beleaguered colonies beat back the British Empire. We love that. We beat back the giant. You know, it's, it's the whole Rocky series, kind of against all odds, right? We, we love that story. Those stories that keep popping up in movies, David and Goliath stories of one man or one woman that seemed to, to fight back and, and to, to beat the system to beat the government, to, to one person that stands against all odds. We love that story. It fires our imagination. I was Googling, you know, for David and Goliath stuff, and just seeing what was out there. And this happened to be my favorite. I think it might be yours too. <laughs> think about that. Ready to take on impossible odds, right? I mean, there's nothing better than the boldness that this story does for us. It fires our imaginations. Some of us, it is not particularly, maybe, particularly scriptural, but might even have anything to do with what we would find in the Bible. It's just something in us that we get excited about. But we're going to miss something if this is more than just, if this is nothing more than just us about rallying ourselves. If it is just about, I just sucked it up and I, kinda, I beat the system and I won. Because what this story teaches us is that this is more than about confidence. It is about living courageously. Because of a vision that David had that went beyond himself. If there is anyone, and we'll get into this, if there is anyone who just exhibited just pure, raw kind of grit, it's Goliath. But Goliath doesn't win. It's David who wins, and that's what's going to be interesting as we, as we jump into the middle of the story. So if you have your, you have your Bibles, and I encourage you to bring your Bibles, open them up to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and, and tonight is one of those nights especially because this is a long story, and perhaps this is a story you're going to want to go home and, and reread uh, after tonight, and I would encourage you to do so, but we're just going to touch down in a couple of spots uh, throughout the night. Uh, but there's a, a, a number of things that we read. First of all, we find that the, we find that the armies of Israel and the armies of uh, the Philistines are battled up against one another. They're butted up against one another at the place called the Valley of Allah. And what's happened is this, is that the Philistines essentially have been beaten back a number of times. I mean Saul and Jonathan, that Jonathan is his son, have had a number of victories over the Philistines. And they have been beaten them back. And for some reason they have decided that they're ready to go at it again. And they're really they're actually at a border place. They're at the kind of the border of Israel. And uh, and the Philistine territory. So whatever's going on, they have picked up lines, and they're facing off to one another. And perhaps out of desperation, I don't know, the Philistines decide to come up with a bold move. And the bold move is this. We're going to send out a, bre- a, mighty soul, a mighty warrior, somebody who is for sure going to win. And we're going to challenge them to a one-on-one duel, winner take all. Now, this is somewhat known in the ancient Near East. It wasn't particularly known in, in Israel. You don't even really see it in the Bible, except for a couple places outside of here. But they, this is their bold plan. We're going to throw out a warrior. And normally you kind of do smaller disputes over this kind of a thing. You don't want to hinge everything on one person, but they are so sure that Goliath, their great champion, could win. that they're on a losing streak and they think Goliath is going to turn them around. And so they throw Goliath out there to, in in some ways, to throw down the gauntlet and to see if, in many ways, they can intimidate the Israelite army to back off. We read the description of Goliath beginning in verse 4. We read, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Now Goliath stood and he shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become... Your subjects, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Well, standing before Israel and Saul stands a brutality that it screams out at them. I mean, let's take a look at Goliath. I mean, as they are looking out at this man, they are presented really with, with a challenge. And a challenge that says, you have no choice and you have no chance. This is, we're raising, we're raising the bar on this. This is not just over a territory. This is, this is everything. You will become our servants if we win this battle. And, and we're betting that we can do that with a guy like Goliath. And Goliath stands there. It says, you have no choice, you have no chance. Well, let's take chance first. We're told that his size is impressive. That whatever the exact height of this guy is, he was a huge dude and by pure strength alone, he would be able to win. He was head and shoulders above anybody and sometimes there's some debate on exactly how tall he was, but the point is the guy's huge and he's impressive. And just looking at him, you know, there's no way I could win. But not only that, he's over-armored and and here's what's interesting. as you look into Old Testament narratives, pick up on stuff. And this is the kind of stuff you should pick up on. When, when uh, the text goes into great description on something, and he goes into great description on the armor of Saul. I mean, they're so sparse in some other places. I mean, yet there's so much information that often we want to know as we're, as we're getting into these stories, as you're looking into Genesis and Exodus and throughout the Old Testament narratives there's so much we want to know and yet sometimes the writers will hang out they'll stop they'll 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 tell you a bunch of information and when they do that you need to pick up why are they telling me this why do i need to know exactly how much his armor weighed about how big it was about everything he had we never hear that information anywhere else we need to pick up on that and part of that is that not only was this guy huge but he was over armored i mean he was he had every piece of armor you could possibly imagine I mean, they would normally not have the resources. You don't fit out an army with armor like this. And yet his armor screamed out, you have no chance. Well, his language, as he defies the ranks of Israel, says you also have no choice. Goliath comes out standing, imposing, and he shouts to the ranks of Israel, why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man to fight the others. And this goes on day after day after day. I mean, can you imagine you're looking at somebody, you're going, there's no way I could beat this. There's no way that I could beat this guy. No way that any one guy in the the Israelite army could beat this guy. And then he taunts you and he says, what, did you just come out here to pick flowers? I mean, come on, are we going to fight or are we not going to fight? So let's go. And he begins taunting them and essentially shaming them. And so you have every day, this goes on and on and on. And Israel runs back each day, in a sense, in fear. Well, this whole, this whole thing, you guys, is, is meant simply to intimidate that they're at this crisis moment in the life of this nation, this nation that is beginning to come together, that is moving from being a nomadic people into being a nation that is settled in in this land. They are at a crisis moment and before them stands brutality. Before them stands intimidation that they can't do anything and suddenly this group, this army that had been on the move is, is stopped. A whole army is stopped. Before them, is intimidating brutality behind them is anxious paralysis. We go on and we, we can take a look at Saul. Now what about Saul, this great king? This great king that actually should be the guy to take on Goliath. If we, earlier on we read in the story that Saul is, is at least a head taller than everyone else. He stands out. He's bigger than any, anyone else. He looks imposing. He looks to be the guy that would have the strength to take this on. And yet there is this quiet desperation about our leader. What's what's he doing? We're sitting there and and we can see that it gets more and more desperate because he begins to come up with any anything possible, anything possible I can give away to get someone to to fight Goliath. I'll I'll give great wealth. I'll give you position. You can be my son-in-law. I'll I'll give you tax-free living. I mean, you know he's desperate, right? When it's lifetime taxes for free, right? Governments don't tend to want to do that. A lifetime of no taxes. And yet Saul, nobody takes him up on there and Saul is just sitting there in anxious ineptitude in a lot of ways. Every day watching his army flee. Well, what about the brothers? What about these great brothers we, we met in the very beginning of this, this whole series? This, the great Eliab, this strong and huge man. Well, his, David's dad, Jesse, sent David with supplies from the field out out to go see what his brothers were doing, assuming that his brothers would be fighting. And yet, can you imagine what what happened when David shows up and they're just standing there? And if they're doing anything, they're, they're running away. Not only that, as David begins to ask questions, their lack of courage is exposed. In fact, they're outraged. Because you have David beginning to ask questions around and day after day... He is only bringing out their shame. Day after day, Goliath is is showing them to to be people who have no courage. And so when David comes along, this little kid and starts asking real obvious questions, suddenly his brother snaps at him. And he says, I know you. I know you, you have a wicked heart. What are you doing out here? You guys ever been in those situations when you start something seems to be wrong and you kind of innocently walk into something you start asking those questions and pretty soon you have people snapping at you. You have people biting your head off and for no apparent reason, it seems like it's, doesn't seem like it matches the moment. Well, it's probably because what you're doing is you're exposing something within a particular system in which there is paralysis. See, these guys had had their imaginations in a lot of ways stunted by this giant that stood before them with armor that seemed impossible to get through. With challenges and threats that just left them with what they thought was no chance and no choice stuck. See, the Valley of Allah is that place where we stand in paralysis and shame. It's it's the mess that we often find ourselves in. It is that place where we're stuck with a, a sense of brutality on one side and fear on the other side. Anyone, re- everyone ever watched 24? Anybody? 24? Anybody? A few people. I love 24, and then I hate it, and then I love it, and then I hate it. Goes back and forth. Shannon usually can't stand it because he, he's Jack Bauer's always yelling. You know, 24 hours of him yelling. One of the things he's always yelling is, you have no, ch- we have no choice. We have no choice. And so he ends up doing these, you know, I use sometimes amazing things, sometimes brutal things. But after a while, you're like, dude, seriously, we've got to have some kind of choice. I'm turning you off. <laughs> There's no choice. You know, he's usually, usually yelling it. And anyways, it just gets old after a while. And, I, and, and it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's an exciting series. And, and for the most part, I like it. But after a while, I just get tired. It's like, really, really, do we have no choice? The thing that I do like about 24 is that all these things that Jack would do, which he says, I have no choice. Sometimes brutal things does not leave him unscathed. He's very human in that way. It, it makes its mark. It, it damages him. Well, that's the Valley of Allah, this place where we have screaming at us that you have no choice. You have no choice. You have to sit there in paralysis, or if you're given a choice, you are given brutal choices that are right before you. It's where we sit there in fear of what might happen, what might go on, if we were to dare to do anything about it. You guys ever been in those situations where you feel like, man, I would love to do something. There is, I would love to to get out of this the mess that I'm in. The, this thing that I know that I just keep coming back to, it's, could you even say it's an addiction? It's this nasty relationship I'm in that is sucking the life out of me. It is this, perhaps it's even something of, I would love to be able to share something of the God that I know with the person that is before me. And, and yet again and again, I have someone barking down at me and I just feel like I can't get out. I feel like I don't have any options. And I hear this, you guys, again and again, actually, in situations. You know people are in trouble when they begin to feel like they have no options. They have no choice and they have no chance. And yet that is so often the place that we can find ourselves in. And that's exactly what we often are told, what others would want to be able to tell us. Well, into these moments in our lives, David comes in. And he begins to show us what it means to fight with imagination. See, David is going to seize the opportunity before him with an imaginative, creative action. Now, the irony is that he's going to stand before King Saul and say, Hey, don't fear, bro. I'll take care of it for you. I mean, can you imagine this little kid coming in, no pants, you know, walks in before the King Saul and he says, Hey, I got it. No problem. Don't fear. Well, here's, here's three things to notice from David that helps him to be able to move out of this place when everybody around him it feels totally locked in. And the first thing is this, is that David reframes what this is all about. That this is ultimately not about Goliath. It's ultimately not about Goliath and Saul. It is ultimately not even about the nations of Israel. This is about the living God. And for the very first time... Throughout this whole thing, we we hear that David goes, wait, what is up with this guy who is defying the armies of the living God? It is so easy for us sometimes when we get in those situations, as it was for Saul and this whole army, to remember that ultimately this is not about us, about what we can do, even about the person that is in front of us that seems to be blocking the way, that seems to be this Goliath-type figure, this situation. It is about us living within the context of a living God who is above and is over everything. Colossians, you guys have heard me use this passage before. It's my favorite passage because it says that Christ was in the beginning. He was before all things. All things were created from him. And because of his death and resurrection on the cross, all things are being redeemed, are going to be placed back under the right authority with him. All things. He is above and over all things. So for David, he comes in and all everyone can see is, well, size, can't beat that. Technology, weapons, tools, can't beat that. I don't have any options. And for David, he doesn't even see it. He goes, I I don't even see it. The point is, this dude's defined the armies of the living God. He puts this whole thing in in a bigger context. So weapons, size, man, in fact, those things are to my advantage because guess what? Those gathered here today, he will say to to Goliath later in verse 47, those gathered here today will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath is coming at at him with everything he has, trying to intimidate him, saying, man, I am going to feed you to the birds. David goes, man, I don't don't care. I don't care if you got a huge old javelin. In fact, it's going to play to my advantage, because you're going to look really dumb pretty soon. Because again, I don't have any pants and I'm still going to beat you. (laughs) Right? There's something wonderful about this. David has the, sees not only, David doesn't just see Goliath, he sees an opportunity for God to be able to work. And one of the things that we have to do is be able to cultivate that imagination that sees opportunities realistically for what they are, for the real challenges that are before him. He takes Goliath really seriously, but the thing that he doesn't do is allow Goliath to dictate the terms to him on what this is all about. He sees it within a bigger context. Well, the next thing that we can learn from David, if we look around and see how he goes about this, is that he draws on God's faithfulness for the future. Saul says, hears that David is going around and, and, and talking about Saul or talking about Goliath and asking about him. And he says, you know, why do you think you can take this guy? And essentially, David says, look, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What's interesting is the way he just kind of, in some ways, sort of writes Goliath off. Goliath wants you to know that there is nothing you can do, that I am unique. I am unique in such a way that... It is impossible to do anything about me. And, and again, this is kind of this whole reframing that has to do with us having an imagination that sees beyond the thing that is screaming at us right in front of us. He goes, yeah, Goliath, man. Dude, he's just like the lion. He's like the bear. Yeah, they're tough. I mean, you take them seriously. But I, God delivered to me from both of those guys. I took both the, the bear and the lion on and no problem. It's nothing that's really that special. This is why it's so important, you guys, to go at the in-between times in such a way that we begin to cultivate and learn about God's faithfulness in our lives. To not sit and wait for that time when we finally everything comes together and, and, and everything is just kind of handed to me on a platter. To wait for that moment. But to day by day go at life looking for God's faithfulness. understand Taking steps of faith. Little ones. In such a way that we can draw on it in these moments in which there is a real challenge before us. It was the in-between times in which David began to understand something of God's faithfulness. And really, that was the thing. His faithfulness to him as a shepherd, which is interesting. It was his faithfulness to him as a shepherd. This thing that he didn't necessarily want to do that is going to help him to reframe this whole this whole situation with Goliath. All the military training that everybody else had didn't do them a bit of good. But it was a shepherd boy who takes care of sheep who actually was able to say, you know what, I can draw on some experience. Dude, this is no big deal. This is just like something I experienced. Isn't that interesting? There's stuff in our lives, you guys, as we go about day by day, seeking to be faithful and then looking for God's faithfulness in our lives that we will be able to bring into those moments, those crisis moments where we are called to step forward in creative and courageous action in which we will be able to draw upon in a way that nobody would ever would have thought would be useful. Well, the last thing is this. Is that David uses the tools that God has given him. He, he does it in a way that is authentic to the, to who he is. See, so Saul, he somehow, I don't, it shows the point of his desperation that he actually lets David do this. I mean, it's amazing. But he says, alright, at least do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my armor on you. We read in verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Then he responded, I cannot go in these, he said, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and put a sling in his hand, and approached the Philistine. We can understand Saul saying, all right, if I'm going to let you do this, at least go out with some kind of armor. I mean, this guy's got armor that's unbelievable. You might as well have something, so take my stuff. But part of the problem, though, is that this is about armor, isn't it? At the very beginning, this is about armor, the intimidation of armor that may or may not really have anything to do, but do with the ultimate result. But it's, it looks really bad. He, it looks really scary. Well, then you got this armor here that actually isn't doing Saul any good. Is armor helping? No, it's not. Armor's not doing a, anything. In fact, David's not even going to go at Goliath with a sword. In fact, it's the armor, it's the sword of Goliath that looks so intimidating that David will ultimately use. Armor is not the issue. And yet so often, for us, we feel like, man, if I, could, I have to get that thing, I have to, I need tools that are outside of what I understand because that's where I'm gonna get power. But David, in some ways, one of his, probably his most courageous thing he did that day was to say, you know what, and I love it because he tries it on, he tries to move around, and he goes, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. I just can't do this. These aren't the tools that I'm gonna, I'm gonna win with. I, I can't use your stuff. I know that you think that I should, but I can't borrow your stuff. I can't borrow your tools. Man, I can't borrow your faith for that matter. I have to go with who I am and who God has made me to be. And David isn't careless. Man, he goes and he picks out carefully those smooth stones. That is just the thing that he knows how to use. It's just the tools that he has that he is going to be able to leverage. And it's ultimately going to be those tools in which he is going to be able to have victory over this particular moment. In fact, it's interesting. It's, it's again, it's the tools. It's his experience as a shepherd that allows him to put Goliath in a context that makes him average, nothing special. In fact, it's his tools as a shepherd with this sling that is actually going to make all of that armor totally worthless. Interesting, isn't it? It's the stuff that you guys are developing right now. It's not things that you need to acquire that don't make sense for you, that someone tells you you have to have. It's the the skills and abilities that God has created in you that you need to develop, that you need to grow in. Those are the things that you will then need to leverage later, not something, not a technique Not stuff that you need to acquire that somehow is going to allow you to tackle the challenges that are going to come before you. It is the gifts, it is the abilities that God has built into you that you need to cultivate. And then you need to be brave enough to say, I'm going to go with these. The things that is authentic for what I have. It's this kind of, we kind of come to this wonderful moment where you you have these, you can imagine if if you will, just imagine with me that it's dark. Maybe there's fires burning. You can imagine two armies on either side facing off one another. Both of them look vicious. And then you have this little shepherd boy that kind of comes down into the middle of this valley. And is standing there. Seemingly naked. Seemingly stripped down. He has nothing really to indicate that he is going to win anything. And yet he, he is the one person out there who is the most courageous. Courageous. He is the one person out there who's going to move beyond being paralyzed, giving in to fear. He is the one person who actually sees what is going on. It's his imagination and his vision that allows him to see beyond the intimidation that Goliath has. It is the faithfulness of a God that he knows that is going to allow him to to be able to have hope for the future it is the tools that God has given him, even as a little shepherd, that is going to be all that he is going to need. So you guys, it's a simple story. It's a kid's story. And yet I think it is a story that calls us to step out in action, whatever that is. Now, we're not going to necessarily have this moment in which we're going to be, you know, slinging rocks at giants. I like I hope you don't. I'm guessing I won't, and yet there's gonna be moments for us to be able to step out on faith. David wasn't looking to be a hero, he just was delivering supplies. That's what's interesting. He wasn't, he didn't come out in battle, he didn't go out to prove himself, he was just being faithful in what he was supposed to do that day, and yet there was a moment that came up for him to be able to take bold and creative action. He was provided with an opportunity. And the thing that is interesting about David is that he ran with that opportunity. So what are the opportunities that we have? See, this doesn't have to be this huge moment. Sometimes we wait for this great moment, but it's simply the oppor- what is the opportunity that you have that is before you? To stand for truth? To take on a co-worker? who you're in conflict with, to be able to move out of a bad relationship, to be able to move from a place in which you feel like there's a a sin, there is an addiction, that tells you that you have no chance to move out from it. What is the, the bold action that is before us? it may be big, it's simply that thing that is, we're not looking for it, it's just that thing that is right in front of us. I don't know if it's joining a small group, which sometimes feels like a huge deal. When we think about, what does it mean to be vulnerable? I I want that. I long for it, and yet it feels like it's too much to do. There are so many different things on a day-to-day basis in which we can cultivate that kind of creative and courageous action to take those steps. When we do that, we're able to then move into those bigger things in which God might be calling us to do something big in this world. When we think about things like up there, talking about the slave trade is worse than ever. The economy is crashing. I mean, there are natural disasters that are happening all over the place. God is calling us to step into these moments at certain times. And so the question is, can we cultivate the kind of character that is going to allow us to to step boldly into that, in that moment in which God gives us that opportunity. You guys, I hope that can be true. I hope we can be people who can move beyond the domination of the immediate. Because when we do, when we take those bold steps, as small as they might be, we're going to inspire others to do the same. I mean, you can think about throughout history, it is those who have taken that bold step I've talked with Tim actually about this in in small ways, even around the church, even around the church as we take bold steps, as we feel led, as we step into that, as we're able to to put ourselves in a bigger context than just what is going on with me. That when we do that, we begin to open up new opportunities for other people to be able to say, wait a second, maybe there's another way to go at the conflict that is in front of me. I ask you, battling my head against a wall, but maybe there's a different way to do this. Maybe you don't have to get stuck in this situation. I saw, I saw him do it. I, I saw her move it. She seemed to be able to handle things in a different way. She seemed to be able to get free in a way that I long to get free at. And when we do that, we begin to point to something that is different. We begin to point to a power that is different, a God who is bigger and whose love is vast. And so you guys, it is time for us to do that. I hope this can be a place where we can cultivate that. One of the things that I would love to be able to see is for us to be able to to create things that will help us to have a bigger vision. One of the things I love about these pieces over here is how they help to demonstrate the story of the prodigal son. If you guys were here last year, you'll have seen that we went through the prodigal son and in a context of worship, these were created They help us to get a vision, help us to to get into a a story that is bigger than ourselves, That a story that is not dominated necessarily by the world around us. If you'd be interested in exploring that with the arts, you can talk to Michaela, who's up here singing tonight. If you'd be interested at all, you don't have to be a great artist, but if you just say, hey, that's something I would love to be able to explore, to, to be able to perhaps capture a different vision for the world around us. Talk to Michaela if you want to just explore what that would even mean. I hope that we can uh, be that people, you guys. Because the church has uh, been made up of those folks who have taken those bold steps throughout the centuries. It was the early Christians who had nothing but Jesus who stood up against the Roman Empire and won. There are people in this congregation who will never get recognized, but have taken bold steps to to make this church a place that has stood on this corner for a 100 years. And yet, great history doesn't mean anything. Because now it's time, it's our time, to take the bold steps to begin to live into what does it mean to be the church for this time, for this moment. We can't hang out and just depend on what somebody else does. We can't hang out and depend on somebody else's faith. We have to step forward ourselves. The church depends on it, and it's going to happen. God's going to do it. The question is whether we get to be a part of it. let's pray. I'm going to ask Tim to come up. and, And the question I have for us before we head to the table is simply to say, what is that thing that God might be laying on your heart? That thing that it might be time to move out of a place of paralysis into bold action, to be able to place yourself in a bigger context and to be able to take a step of faith. What is that?